0: call Kevin Brooker today 80-975-6717. do it today
1: this is Kevin Brooker welcome to cruising through retirement you know re- new report just came out and it graded the retirement systems of countries across the world and America earned a C plus so coming up on today's show we're gonna help you figure out how you can build an a-plus retirement plan you don't want to miss this one folks
0: Hey, welcome in, everybody. This is Cruising Through Retirement with Kevin Brooker. I'm consumer advocate Steve Siddall. Kevin's been helping folks in the retirement industry, in the retirement business, uh, if you will, for over 30 years. Silverleaffinancial.com is where you will find him and the website, uh, The Millionaire's Guide to Tax-Free Money for Long-Term Care. That is uh, Kevin's book. You can get that on the website as well. And uh, I like this. Uh, we're, we got We got
1: a grade for our retirement. Hey, Kevin, how are you? Hey, you know, thank you, Steve. I am good. I'm good. It's always good to be here. And, uh, you know, it's just a little bit disappointing when I first saw this. And I've, I've seen these studies before. Sure. But you say C plus. Man, that's, you know, I want to be at the front of the pack, not in the middle. Yeah.
0: I mean, again, if, what, it was uh, the 47 countries. Uh, what was the number there? To the 63. Because, I mean, when I went yeah. to school, 63, that was a D.
1: That was, the, I was <laughs> going to say the same thing. That was, And that's barely passing. Yeah, right? exactly. Barely <laughs> passing. <laughs> you, you know, yes, you, exactly. you, you made it by three points. Right. So, yep and uh, you know yeah it was 47 countries Uh, the US came in ranked at 22 right in the middle of the pack Um, guys we used to be much higher we used to have you know we used to be in a much stronger position I think most everybody probably knows that if you pay attention to markets at all Um, you you know so it's so it's really not so hot you know there's there's a lot of a lot of things account for it a lot of in terms of and this is about our pension plans okay so that's one thing I want to emphasize this is about the pension plan so most individuals that work in the private sector uh, probably don't have a pension anyway. Uh, this is really about the government—you know, government entities, the cities, the states, the federal governments—you know, military—and looking at their pensions. And there's a lot of places. For instance, I moved uh, me and my wife moved to Arizona in 2011, um, and I was born and raised in Northern Illinois. Um, you know, lived in the western suburbs of Chicago. Born in the great town of Naperville, Illinois. Oh wow. Um, and, but one of the problems is I was looking at, you know, I'm a finance guy. So I look at the reports that come out on the state of, you know, Illinois' you know, finances uh, and, and of course, Illinois' pensions. And for a long, long time, and I believe it's still the case, uh, Illinois is one of the worst states in the country in terms of uh, the solvency ratios of mm-hmm. their pension plans. And the big problem, in my opinion, is that we, we have legislators that have written up these rules and made all these promises. And I say to myself, did you guys ever have an actuary come in and tell you how much this is going to cost 10, 20, 30, 40 years from now? <laughs> because, because when I look at it, Steve, I'm like, how in the world could they have agreed to this? Yeah. And, and what I'm pointing to is we've probably all heard the stories that there are a lot of people out there that retired, let's say from the police force or the fire department after 20 or 25 years, and they're getting $100,000 pensions. And this is you know, mid forties to mid fifties where these folks retire, where these people retire. So at that age, you're more than the government, aka the taxpayer, is likely going to be on the hook for these pension payments for at least thirty years, if not forty. And and so to me, I think it was these promises were too big. I think is the problem, in my opinion. Uh, I think pensions should be supplemental income, like your social security. Right. Uh, um, but a hundred grand a year, I think, is outrageous.
0: That's outrageous. I I completely agree. So we're talking about this uh, survey or this study that was done. Uh, so yeah, I, I um. Here we go. The top four that all got A's. These are the only group. this is the only countries that got A. Netherlands number one, Iceland, Denmark, and Israel.
1: Oh, Israel! No kidding. Yeah. That, that one's that one's not. Usually, it's the Scandinavian countries right. well, that the, dominate the, these.
0: The first three are.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I don't know if there's something with you know cold temperatures, but um, you know, but they they do. They're, they're pretty consistently in the top uh, top rated for pension plans. They're also top rated, you know, for you know quote unquote happy happiest uh citizens of the country sure. so to speak yep you know and so i don't know if it's tied to the social welfare system the social safety nets that they have um you know like universal health care and uh and pensions and other benefits that you know most of us don't have in the states uh but the trade-off is that their taxes are far higher than we are here so so you gotta i, I always say pick your poison do you want to pay more in taxes have more benefits or or less benefits and lower taxes? And so I think uh, that they've made the decision there and they're happy with it, so, so more power to them. Um, but in the states, some of the problem is that they, they're, they're simply underfunding these programs, right? They're, they're not putting in the amount of money they should, the government, the legislators, they're not putting in the money they should to fund the pensions that they have promised individuals. And because of that, I know like in the state of Illinois, they've had, they've had to go through other taxes, uh, tax raises and, and increasing taxes uh, simply to just help pay those pension costs. So this is going to be an ongoing problem and if the government doesn't figure it out it's just going to keep in my view it's going to keep on snowballing so I hope they pay more attention to it and figure it out whether it's raising the retirement age to get the benefits or it's increasing the amount of time uh, in service so to speak that somebody has to put in so instead of getting a pension in 20 years no it's going to be 30 years um or instead of 30 maybe it's 40 I don't I don't know the numbers but they they need to readjust the formula so we can make it work and we have the longevity that we need, so we can make sure that they can actually continue to pay those pensions, without having to to tax, raise taxes so much, you know, that it causes upheaval in the system. Sure. So hopefully they will uh, they, they they will get it together and 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 make some makes the changes that they need to make. But you know, I I, I got it. I'd be lying if I said I had a lot of hope, considering they don't have the courage to tackle Medicare and Social Security.
0: Yeah. So no, they don't truly.
1: No, they, 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 they don't. It's uh, what do they call that? The third rail of politics or something. Sure. Um, you know, and they, and they don't want to touch it, but, but I would, I would say guys want that to pay attention to what's going on because social security and Medicare are, are very, very much um, going to need to be, something's going to need to be done or everybody's check is going to get cut 20 to 25%. Yep. And I know I don't yeah. want that. Um, so my solution, does everybody know that once you pass about 160 grand in income, you no longer pay social security. Does everybody realize that that the high income earners they pay the same amount into Social Security as somebody that's making 160 grand? So they could be making a half a million, a million, two million, five million, ten million, a billion dollars like Taylor Swift, but they're only paying Social Security tax on 160 thousand. Yeah. All right. Well, that I mean, again, the, I think it, that's the that's a that seems to
0: me to be a logical, fair solution.
1: I to. It seems totally fair to me just pay the same percentage yeah. in the Social Security that everybody else pays, whether you make 100 grand or 200 grand or 2 million or 10 million or whatever amount of money you make. So when Mahomes is cashing his $50 million check from the chiefs, he should have to pay the same percentage in the Social Security that all the rest of us pay. Yeah. I mean, why? And, why and wouldn't that be fair? <laughs> I have. You know what? Don't you think the majority, the great majority, I would think I would think at least like 70 percent of the population would agree with that. Oh, my gosh. Yes, and, I would hope so. You know, and that to me is the easiest thing to do. And then see where that takes us. Because yeah. that's that is good. That would add many years to the solvency of the program before they start talking about cutting benefits or pushing back the full retirement age, which is what they're doing now. The Republicans are going to want to push back the retirement age or cut benefits. They never want to raise taxes. And, and I think to me, the reality is sometimes you got to raise taxes. Yeah. And that's just the way it is. You know, we can't expect to get benefits and to have a solid infrastructure and a well-functioning government if if we're not willing to pay taxes that are needed in order to accomplish that. So right. I, I am right here, I'll raise my hand. I'm willing to pay more into the system. I'm not talking doubling what we're paying, right? An incremental increase, I think, would take care of the problem. I think getting rid of the getting rid of the wage cap, the wage limit on social security, because guys, there is no wage cap on Medicare. Doesn't matter how much you make for Medicare contributions, if, it, if it's if it's a billion dollars, you're paying in the same percentage into Medicare as everybody else in the system. But for some reason, the rich people, the wealthy people, got a carve out with Social Security where they got a cap that they no longer have to contribute to Social Security once you pass that cap. And now the government, and I'm going to fault, I'll fault the Democrats for this. They're trying to create another damn donut hole. And, and in other words, saying, oh, you won't pay Social Security tax on income from 160 to 400, but then over 400, we're going to start taxing you again. Well, I mean, what the hell? Well, that doesn't I, make I, any I, sense. It's it, it's re- so is it's obviously be- a, it's a political play to try to get the middle class.
0: Well, and, and I weird. mean, is that really, and I'm not picking sides, I mean, is that because politicians are sort of, um, you know, getting their palms greased by, you know,
1: the rich people, so to speak? Oh, it definitely is. It definitely is, without a a doubt. In fact, Mitch McConnell just admitted that in the last few days, because one thing that blew me away, just a short side note on politics, Josh Hawley, very surprisingly, Republican from Missouri, um, aka, you know, little nut job. Sorry. um, He's the one that was trying claiming he was brave when he was running away from the January 6th people, by the way. So he introduced a bill to repeal and reverse the Citizens United Supreme Court decision that came down I don't know, 13, 14, 15 years ago. And this decision, I knew it at the time. Citizens United is the decision where the Supreme Court said corporations can contribute unlimited amounts to political action committees. So that led to the creation of so-called super PACs, super political action committees, of which Mitch McConnell leads, one of the biggest ones. And he pointed out and he said publicly uh, that uh, anybody that supports this bill what did he say? Is going to get incoming. They're going to have to face incoming. <laughs> That's what he said, right? So mm-hmm. in other words, if you if you support this bill, then you're probably going to lose the next election. All right. And so it, it's wealthy, wealthy, wealthy people. The billionaires. In my opinion. They're the ones that are that are influencing what's happening in politics. Yep. Because they can give unlimited amounts of money. That's why we got the tax cuts from the last administration, which blew another couple trillion in our debt. Um, and and now for them to say. Well, I need need some Republican to explain to me how they're truly concerned about the debt while at the same time they want to cut the staff for the IRS. How can you possibly cut our revenue mechanism if you think you want to take care of our debt? If we're going to tackle the debt, we should be increasing revenue collection. We should be hiring more IRS officers because wealthy people have been cheating the system for years. It's estimated that there's $600 billion in annual taxes that are owed but not paid. That's not middle class people okay? Middle-class people don't owe $600 billion in taxes. It's the upper-class wealthy billionaires that are cheating on their taxes. That's why they're contributing to, re- to campaigns of people that they will then cut IRS enforcement so they can keep on cheating on their taxes. And there's plenty of research out there if you guys want to look into it. I think we should be collecting every penny that's owed. I have no problem if they triple the number of IRS enforcement agencies or agents, because I'm not hiding anything. I'm I'm doing it exactly as following the book right all right i've seen a lot of studies lately that that talk about you know i mean think about that 600 billion dollars a year yeah right? well i mean do you <laughs> okay. think that
0: the irs is going to go after the middle class rather than the billionaires
1: no no really well, no i don't i i think i think that why would okay if you're an ir i don't know how there are okay i don't know i need you know what i've actually got a friend that was an irs guy oh yeah for 30 for 30 years and by the way he's got a really nice pension um and he, he was an IRS guy. I think it was a lawyer. I'm not sure. But, but I don't know how IRS agents are paid. In other words, do they get paid anything like a, like kind of like a commission, like based on the amount of money they collect? Do, oh, they, do they get? I can't you know I'm imagine. Saying? Really? I don't think so. I would totally structure it that way. Yeah. Well, because I've been in sales all my life. Well, yeah. So, so to me, an incentive-based system. You know what? I remember going back to psychology in college. Incentive-based systems work really well when you're trying to get a rat to go through a maze in a particular route. Yeah, you reward them positive reinforcement, right? You give him a little piece of cheese when he makes the right turn, right? When he makes a wrong turn, you don't do anything. When he makes another right turn, you give him another little piece of cheese, another little piece of cheese, right? So to me, it's the same premise with somebody doing a job. If they, if if some guy, find, if an agent says, you know what, I just want hundred thousand dollars in taxes that are owed, I'm gonna say, here's a little piece of cheese. But if you say, here's five hundred bucks that's owed, I'm gonna say, eh. I'm not really gonna give you anything for that. So I I, I don't know. Okay, I just think, well
0: you're right. No, I I see that. I I see the logic. I get it.
1: I, I just said you know, to me, I think it I think there was an old there's an old story, God I can't think of the guy's names. There's an old story about this guy that was a bank robber. And they asked him, say, Will I think his name is Willie. And it's like, Willie, why are you robbing the banks? Why are you robbing the banks? He says, Well, that's where the money's at. Right? Yeah. That's where the money's at. So if you're gonna go after tax cheats, I would think you'd go after the wealthiest ones. I'd start off with Elon Musk, and then I would go to Bezos and Warren Buffett, and I would just go down the Forbes list of all the wealthiest people. And I think they should all be audited every year, personally. Um, so, and I think, that could, I, I think that could bring in a whole lot of money. You know, Amazon Corporation pays less income tax as a percentage than you and I? Wow. You know, that less than 10%. They pay less than 10% income tax. It's nice work so, if you can get it. <laughs> yeah, so. These multi-billion-dollar corporations—they're the ones that got the permanent tax cuts—and the individuals like you and me, ours are going to lapse. Yep. So our tax rates are going to go back up, but corporations apparently can keep their really low tax rates. So it—I it, think it's—I think it's upside down. I think—I think the billionaires and the really wealthy corporations should be paying far more in taxes. Uh, is my opinion because I believe they can afford to, and it won't impact their way of life. So nonetheless, we, we get a little off track here. Why don't we go back to how we, yeah. can, how, how, how we can give ourselves a good retirement?
0: An A-plus retirement. That's what we're talking about here. And uh, so uh, we've got a list of, of 10. I don't know that we'll get through all of them, but we'll give it a shot. Um, so on the top of the list, as we begin to put together a solid retirement plan, we've got to start with a budget.
1: Yes, no question. And, and that's what I, what I want, like to mention to people is that, guys, a budget is not just for when you're working. All right. You need to have a budget when you're retired. OK, because you've got to look at we've got to be able to run the numbers and make forecasts and projections, because I don't want to take a chance that you run out of money, you know, in your 80s or 90s. That's that's the worst thing I think that could happen to anybody. And so we want to make sure that we're putting together a plan. We're putting pen to paper. It can't just be a plan in your mind. I have had several people. Yeah, I've got a plan. I just haven't written it down. So, all right. Well, in my book, that's not really a plan, Not really a plan it's more like a fleeting thought, um, you know, but if it, if it works for you, great. All right, my opinion is put pen to paper, let's look at all your expenses, let's look at all your income, all your income sources, and then we're gonna figure out what, is, what shortfall you have. In other words, for most people, Social Security alone is not enough to cover their expenses, so we need to come up with other income and we wanna take a look at that, so we need to start off by putting down a plan that we wanna be realistic about your projected, you know, your costs, and you wanna be very, very sure you include inflation. You have to include inflation, especially for things like you know uh, healthcare and housing, and you know and gas prices and food prices. Right. Mm-hmm. We've all seen the inflation in the last few years. Um, I tell you, there there were some things uh, uh, that that. Um, well, I tell you what, I've got, I've got, I've got an artificial turf backyard, and you have to put something down called infill. And because I have dogs, and this is something that helps you know take care of the odor that would come with it. But the infill can be expensive, and I bought it four years ago. I bought a 50 pound bag for $18, and today the bag is $24. Wow, so, so it's gone up almost 35% in four years. 35% in four years. So that's just one situation because I just bought you know another couple hundred, a couple hundred <laughs> dollars, about ten, 10 more bags, and 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 so, but I was shocked. I said, last time I was 18, I thought maybe it'd be 20, but it was 24. 24. And, and so that's, and, and so I'm saying to myself, wow, if it keeps going up 30, 35% every four years, how much money am I going to need to make it another, you know, 25 or 30 years? Yeah, no kidding. Right. And it's kind of scary. It's kind of scary guys. So we want to make sure we go through the exercise factor in inflation so that we can come up with a budget and make sure that we've got income sources that we can tap into or turn on to give us extra income to help offset that inflation.
0: And one of the things, so once we understand our budget and where that money is coming from and and how it's going to be applied, we need to have an emergency fund. And and again, I've said this before, but if we learned nothing from COVID, we learned we really do need that emergency fund.
1: Oh yes, no question. And COVID, that was a heck of a wake up call, I think for everybody. Tell me about it, yeah. You you know, and if you, I feel, and I feel terrible for people that didn't, you know, that weren't prepared for it, not just physically, but financially and you know, it can be devastating. And so in my view, and what? Else, let me let me suggest something, I would put building an emergency fund as number one. That is the very first thing everybody okay. should have done. I, I believe everybody should do. When you first start making money, when you first get a job and you're in your twenties, ho- hopefully it's in your twenties, not in your thirties, um, you know, that you, that you start saving and build up that emergency fund. The emergency fund should be, I, I suggest six months of expenses. So if your monthly expenses are five grand, then you should have at least $30,000 in an emergency fund. Some people will say shorter periods. Some people will say longer. I do recommend a longer term, a bigger emergency fund for older people. So if you're, if in particular, if you're retired, because depending on how you're receiving your income, in other words, if you're taking income from the stock market and the stock market drops or crashes, I want you to have the ability to reduce your withdrawals if you're taking them from stocks that have gone down in value. Because you know, if you still think the prospects are favorable longer term, you probably would rather hold on than sell them at a a discounted price. So the emergency fund—if you've got a 12-month emergency fund—you can take out a few months of that if the markets are bad and still have a comfortable cushion. You know, if your car breaks down or if you need to replace your air conditioner or something. All right. But there's there's many uses for it. But the emergency fund is truly that—it's for emergencies, it's for the unexpected expenses. It's not just to go, you know, I don't know, take a cruise or something. Um, that should be a different pool of money that you tap for something like that.
0: Okay, uh, that makes sense. And, and uh, so as we go down this list, uh, diversification of assets, and we just have to know that we are diversified. And, and I know a lot of people say, well, I don't, I don't even know what that is. That's why we have you.
1: Yes, and, 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 and it's true. A lot of people don't know what it is or they don't understand uh, what it is. Um, a lot of people say they do. Uh, and, and one thing I've noticed, and, and guys, one thing I would suggest when you're sitting down with somebody, if if, if you get confused or, you, or you're you're not following along sometimes about some word they used or a phrase they used, then please just interrupt, just interrupt them and say, "Wait a minute, could, could you go back over that again?" Mm-hmm. Because because a lot of times, like me, I've been I've been doing this for 33 years now, and so a lot of it, you know, is 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 something that I look at every day, I read about every day, and I've been doing it seems like forever. And so some things that that I might talk about that that um, are like a daily thing with me, sometimes I forget it's not a daily thing with the person that I'm talking to. Sure. All right. And I understand that you're in a different field, but sometimes when we get started talking about our field and investing in what we do, sometimes maybe we'll throw something out there that you're not totally familiar with. And it's okay. Just just let us know. Just let us know. It's It's just a slip of the mind where sometimes, you know, we don't realize what you may or may not know. And the other thing is, you know, I've had... I've, had some clients, I've got some clients that have, M, that have MBAs in finance, right? MBA mm-hmm. in finance from, from University of Chicago, also at the same person, also a master's in engineering, right? So very educated person. Um, and his finance degree, though, he doesn't feel really taught him about, about the actual day to day investing in retirement planning. Okay. And, and so that was something for me to kind of wrap my head around um, because it surprised me. And, and so, so my point is I, I've got clients with PhDs. I've got medical doctors that are clients. I've got a lot of clients that are very, very educated, but their expertise is not in investing. Okay. And so they recognize that and they say, you know what, I'm going to hire somebody. I'm going to surround myself with people that do have expertise in these areas. And in my view, I, I've always talked about, uh, to people when I have a conversation about a company, I say a smart CEO, a smart boss, they recognize they don't know everything and that they can't know everything. And so the best ones, in my opinion, they hire people that have the knowledge and the expertise and the experience that they might not have. And they surround themselves with people that have that knowledge. That's the same approach I think an individual should take to investing. If you don't have this knowledge or you don't have the desire, if you haven't spent the last 20 years in finance, you probably could really benefit from having a financial advisor that does have that experience. And so my suggestion would be to sit down, talk to him, talk to her, See, see if you guys are a good fit, see what you think. Talk to a few of them. If, if you don't like anybody, then, then continue doing it yourself. But I think if you sit down with somebody, you'll find that you could benefit from that relationship. I completely so, agree. Oh, uh, and, uh, no, I appreciate that, Steven. I tell you going back and I kind of skipped over the diversification, but diversification is not just like small cap, mid cap and large cap stocks. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I have had some folks think that, um, that's one aspect of it. Right, you don't want to have everything in all large company stocks. Um, sometimes that can work out really well, like this year, for instance, 2023. If you had nothing but the mega cap stocks, you did fantastic, right? And pretty much everything else did lousy. So sometimes diversification it won't get you as much performance. And I think that's a reason why some people go the undiversified route is because they say, well, why the hell do I want to buy something that's not moving? I wanna, I want to buy you know Nvidia that's up you know 300 percent this year, and and so you, you can do that, but you want to be very careful because these things tend to come in and out of favor. And so this year, the mega caps, the mega cap tech stocks and energy stocks are really some of the only areas that have really performed well. Healthcare has gotten beaten up and, and, and many other, most every other sector has has really had kind of lousy performance this year. All right. But you still want to be diversified because we know over time, you're going to do better having stocks and bonds. And I would I would I would recommend some real estate, right? I would have I would have treasuries. Uh, I like to own direct treasuries as opposed to I don't like aggregate bond funds, um, which have not made any money this year. Uh, I have been doing when I'm doing bond funds, I'm doing shorter term bond funds, anywhere from zero to two years, because in those you can get five and a half percent right now, and and you don't have the risk that you have if you go further out the yield curve, which means go longer than maturity. So I'm, I said two years or less. If you go to like 30-year bonds, you could really, and interest rates go against you, you can get crushed. So be very careful uh, when looking at those or talking to somebody because you want to make sure exactly how much risk you're taking too. But it does it does benefit you to be diversified to reduce that risk of a big loss.
0: Sure, and again, as we uh, kind of skip around this list uh, before we run out of time, let's talk long-term care and life insurance and how that can play a key role. And it's it's not all gloom and doom either.
1: No, no, it's definitely not. In fact, in fact, there's a lot of hybrid policies, which are the ones I prefer uh, for both actually long-term care and life insurance. Now, there are some policies, of course, there are standalone long-term care insurance, which you go through full underwriting. Uh, so if you have a if there if you have any medical history, major procedures. It's going to be very very expensive um, and most people balk at the cost people have been balking at the cost of long-term care insurance my, my entire career i remember back in the 90s pretty much everybody i talked to thought it was too expensive but that but that what actually ended up happening is the companies that were selling that insurance wound up going bankrupt because they weren't charging enough because the price of healthcare and medical costs have gone up so much so what i like what i prefer are what are called the hybrid policies so this is a policy where you can have a life insurance. Uh, there's a life insurance benefit, so a death benefit on it. Okay. So if a person, so if you never use it, the money goes to your beneficiaries. Okay. But if you do need it, a lot of these, the but the ones that I like, you can access up to eighty percent of the face amount, which is the death benefit. So let's say you have a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar policy, which means that when that person dies, the beneficiaries will get two hundred fifty grand. Okay. If that person needs some sort of care, like they have, uh, I don't know. They have, they have a stroke and they need to be in a facility or something. They can access up to eighty percent of that face amount, or in this case, they could access up to two hundred thousand that they could use for long term care. So, and and the good policies are cash indemnity policies. In other words, you want to find a policy that when the situation comes up, all you have to do is qualify. That means the doctor signs off on a piece of paper that says, you know, yes, they need they need care. Okay. Now the insurance company is just going to send you a check. They're not going to ask you for receipts. They're not going to say, we want to reimburse you based on when you pay. All right. And you need to know this guys, because that's how a lot of policies work. They work on reimbursement. They want you to send them records. They want you to send them receipts. They got all kinds of rules that you have to follow. It can be a pain in the butt. So when you're, if you're interested in a policy like this, make sure you sit down with somebody that knows what they're doing, that can help you find the one that's going to work for you. And in my opinion, it's one where they will pay you cash because then guys, even if you want to, let's say you've got a family member, you've got a son or a daughter or a nephew or a cousin and you, and you just want to pay them to help being a caregiver, you know, to your spouse, you can do it. But a lot of policies, they won't let you do that unless that relative is also a licensed nurse or, you know, some sort of licensed caregiver. So, so there are a lot of differences from one policy to the next, but make sure that you take a look at it. I like the ones that have the combination that are hybrid. Because if you never need it, you don't, it doesn't cost you a dime and all the money goes to your family.
0: Nice. I mean, those are the kinds of things that give us the reassurance, the confidence that, that we can grow older and, and not have to worry. Because I know that a lot of people do. I mean, you know, stuff happens, like you said, you don't see it coming and suddenly, oh my gosh, the world has been turned upside down. To have a policy like that in place, yes. again, you just have that, uh, you know, you just breathe it, it, that sigh of relief.
1: You do, and it, and, it, and, it should, and it relieves so much anxiety because a lot of people will tell me, I don't want to be a burden on my kids, right? Yeah. And they don't, mean, they don't mean just a physical burden or the nursing aspect burden. They mean the financial burden as well. And And so that's what these policies can do. I always tell people money gives you choices. It gives you choices that people without money don't have, right? And so if you've got the ability to do it, I can show you how to set this money up, how to use assets you already have, and how we can position them into something that if you need long-term care, you've got it covered. If you don't use it, it pays out to your family. Or you can even take it back yourself if you want to, if you just want to take back the money to do something else with it, I can show you how to do it. But if you need it for long-term care, I can show you how to do that on a tax-free basis, right? So you can use pre-tax money to pay for long-term care if it's set up properly. All right. But there are a lot of rules we've got to follow. And so it's something that you should really take a look at because over half the population is going to need long-term care at some point, all right? And guys, you know what? I'm glad Steve mentioned that, that, that life happens, right? Yes. I was just, re- just reading another research report and the research was talking about how, how a lot of people have a plan that they're just going to keep on working in retirement, that they're really not going to retire, that they're going to work well into their 60s. A lot of people, I think, I think it was 25% of the population, 25% of the people that responded, let me say it that way, said they are going to work well into their 70s. Okay. And what this article was saying is that, okay, that could be a good plan if things work out for you. But the fact of the matter is that a thir- I think it was a third of, of people that re- that they surveyed that are already retired thought they were going to work another four or five years longer than they did because either a health problem came up or they were laid off from their job. So as things beyond their control that caused them to stop working, but they had anticipated, on average, these folks anticipated working five years more than they actually were able to. Wow. And so, wow. so I just, it, it, I thought that was pretty shocking. Because, yeah. you know, it, if, if a person's in good health and you get laid off, theoretically, you can get another job, right? But guys, have you heard about ageism? Have we, you know, have we heard about discrimination against people based on their age? Oh, yeah, that's, that's it's re- very real. It's a very real, okay, I don't know if you want to call it a phenomena, but it's very real and and the the research will show it to you the fact is a lot of companies don't want to spend the time the effort the money hiring and training somebody that's even over that's even over the age of 50 because they're looking at how much time are you going to be there how much you know can they get out of it versus what they have to put into it compared to what if they hired somebody in their 20s or 30s that's how they're looking at it and they're saying why should i hire somebody that's 60 when i can hire somebody that's 30 They can give me so much more time work. I can get back so much more on my investment as a company owner, and that's what happens. So if your plan is to just keep working, you know, be very careful about that. Give it a second look. Maybe let's sit down and talk, and maybe I can help you figure out a way to make it happen sooner. Because I know one thing that scares the heck out of me is if something happens that I'm not able to work as long as I plan to. What what's that going to do to my retirement plan? And and you know, do you have a backup plan? So there's a lot of things that can come up. Unfortunately, life happens. Um let's all be careful out there to try to make sure it doesn't happen to us, but let's have a backup plan. Maybe have a backup plan C as well as plan B.
0: I like that, Kevin. And, and uh, so let's just wrap this up with give me your thoughts. I'm reading different things from different, you know, economists and, and and pundits who are very optimistic for the rest of the year on the stock market. Where do you fall?
1: Yeah, you know, you know what that is? That is a really good question. Um, I tell you what, in my opinion, I, I always look at the charts and I look at what's happening and, and the market has been trading between the S and P 500, between 4,000 and 4,400. And in my opinion, we're stuck in this trading range. Yep. So my my answer is until we break one of those then we're going to, we're going to stay in this trading range. So in other words, if things are going well, and the market's optimistic and everything is glass half full and we break above 4,400 on a closing basis for at least a couple of days. Then I'm going to say we can rally higher. Same thing on the opposite side, though. If we get negative, glass is half empty. Everything is negative. We go below 4,000 for a few days. Then probably we're going to see further downside. So right, right now in my, we're, we're in a seasonally strong period. November and December are two of the best months of the year for the stock market. All right. The problems, though, the problem that I see is political. Um, I think I think uh, our new speaker might very well uh, shut down the government. And so I'm not sure what that does. I think I think the, the date is like November 17th. Um, so we've got about we've got a few weeks. Um, but as of right now, what I'm hearing is that they are going to shut it down. And so I don't know how long it's going to last. What the implications will be? Uh, my opinion is to the money that you have invested in the market right now, keep invested, stay invested. But additional funds, I'm building up a little bit of cash is what I'm doing. Uh, I'm a little bit I'm concerned about Israel and Hamas. And whether Iran gets into it, whether that gets into a bigger thing with Hezbollah and Syria. I'm worried about whether chi- China takes advantage of the current situation, says the U.S. is occupied with two other wars. Now is our time to invade Taiwan. And I'm worried about what's happening with Russia and Ukraine. So we've got a lot of big things out there that could cause a, a big move one direction or the other. So, Steve, I know that's a long answer. Well, <laughs> but, I like it. It's a great answer. All right. Right now, I'm cautious. I would say I'm cautiously optimistic. I like that. That's a great way to end the show. Perfect. Perfect. Guys. Yeah. So stick, stick with your plan is what I'm trying to say. If you have some questions, you'd like a second opinion, please give me a call. I'm happy to give you that second opinion. There's no charge. There's no commitment. Just a a little bit of information. Maybe you hadn't thought of.
0: do it today.